Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, we've got a couple different things to get to tonight, but we'll kind of use this as maybe a just a general titled camp update. We certainly have received a lot of questions, as I'm sure anybody that covers the Florida State football team has recently, uh, whether it be you know player health, death chart, uh, players emerging in practice. We've got a couple different questions we'll try to get to. As always, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. I've got the traditional bottle here in front of me. Uh, when I feel like something a little different, have even the uh, hotter hot sauce. If you're one who consumes the podcast via video, you were ever so fortunate to watch me put those two things in front of the camera there. But uh, great sponsor, something that I've uh, bragged about for a long time, being fortunate enough to use. And uh, whether I'm cooking up some eggs or trying to spice up some uh, some leftovers. It is uh, something that I frequently grab. And uh, if you are watching on video, you can even see my secondary bottle uh, up there over my head back on the shelf behind me. So uh, something that, you know, always got to make sure you got a bottle in every room, but that's that's my motto. I like your motto. That is a great, great, uh, great shout out to the departed Coach Bowden. All right, man. So... We have a lot of listener questions. We did not get to any listener questions in our last two shows, which means our Patreon inbox is absolutely full, as is our email inbox. That's patreon.com slash Nolcast. Gmail is Nolcast. Twitter is Nolcast. Instagram is Nolcast. So basically, you guys kind of know where to find us. There's a, a decent like logo up there. I can't actually point over Ingram's head here because we're on split-screen video, but Ingram, it's over your head, I believe, over your... Uh, Probably your left shoulder there or right shoulder, one of the two. I mean, obviously it has to be one of the two, right? <laughs> that is a good bet. It is a good bet. So let's lead off with, with questions from James and Mike. I literally just copy-pasted them back to back. A couple of people asked some more questions here. I thought these people asked in kind of the most uh, tactful way. So we'll go ahead and just take them. Not that we're always concerned with being the most tactful pod out there. Uh, but we are, I think, the longest running FSU pod by quite a bit. Ingram tonight asked why our uh, our Google Doc is running so slow, and then he realized it is 235 pages, and that's what happens when you never, ever switch it from 10 years. So we're going to retire this one and start a new decade worth of, of Google Show Talk. <laughs> Some of the notes back in here, by the way, are absolutely hilarious. I looked at them. I looked at them a couple days ago. I was going through a bunch of stuff, and I you know, found some of my instant reaction notes, you know, Always sober when I do those things, so that was worth a chuckle. Uh, but anyway, so James and Mike, as you said, asked almost the identical question, uh, and I imagine a lot of this is the response to social media and other places where this uh, general narrative's been out there. But it's so is Milton hurt? Is this a new injury or is it the foot leg thing from spring? Uh, why in the hell are Purdy and Rotomaker getting all the practice reps again? Uh, do you buy what Mike Norvell is selling? And I'm taking that's probably in reference to load management and some of the other reasons that have been thrown out there as to why uh, Rodemaker and, and Purdy have been as prominent as they have been in the past couple of practices. So I buy it and I don't. A couple things here that, that I can share. Obviously, if you go to practice for all the periods, you're not allowed to report on injuries or depth chart. Uh, we don't, at least not normally. So I guess we could do that. You know, out of respect for how open they're being, I, I don't think we need to drop every single little thing we hear, especially if it's not confirmed. But I will tell you this. I do not believe there is any kind of new injury to Mackenzie Milton, right? I We spoke about the foot-leg thing in the spring and in preseason shows already this year before he missed any practices. I am relatively certain I would hear 
if there were some kind of new, especially if it was some kind of serious injury to Mackenzie Milton. So I do not think that he has any kind of new injury. So from that standpoint, the idea of him missing multiple practices now from a load management thing, if you want to take a very liberal interpretation of load management, which means, God, we please hope he is healthy enough to, you know, to, to open the year. And this is something we're going to have to manage. And we know it's not going to go away during the year. It's just something we know about. We're going to have to manage, which is what I was told in the spring. Hey, he's going to have to deal with this. This is what, what it's going to be. Then yes, I buy the, the load management uh, thing there. The other thing I'm going to buy, Ingram, is that you're not getting a damn thing done right now. If you, if, if both, you know, if it's Rodemaker and Purdy taking all these snaps or the mass majority of these snaps, and we know for a fact that other guys, other people who, again, not saying they are starters, just if I was making a depth chart, like my, I, my opinion, they should be starters. That's my evaluation of them as their talent. Those guys are out with contact tracing too. I don't think that they've gotten a whole lot done this week in practice. I know they did a whole lot of special teams. So a couple nights ago when there was all this kind of Twitter explosion about this, I was uh, I honestly couldn't figure out who the reference was. Uh, I was confused. And then um, we actually referenced this in our past podcast, uh, the one that was produced or published, I think, two, three days ago, that Milton had a, uh, a little bit of a foot concern. I don't think that's, I don't think we're, you know, letting out house secrets to acknowledge that it's been a, you know, it's been a little bit of a known storyline since spring as you referenced there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you have some general concern with injury at the quarterback room. I don't think it's anything that can't be managed. I don't think it's anything that's new to this staff or medical staff's concern. Milton is a calculated risk and you're just going to have to uh, try to make the best of it that you can. I think Florida State would take that calculated risk 100 times out of 100, uh, and this doesn't come necessarily as a surprise. So, yeah, I would not overreact. I would not uh, look at this as some kind of new challenge or necessarily if Bud and I were going to put together our win-loss projections, the idea that Milton has to be brought along at speed is not – necessarily a new thing or something that uh, would would necessarily factor into what I look like or what I think the season's going to look like. So, you know, you can take it at what you will. I, I agree with that. We, we also got a couple questions about drama in the QB room. And man, I, I got to tell you, I have heard absolutely zero about that. I think that's just total BS, to be honest. Probably just made up stuff on, on social media. I, like, I don't know where that comes from. But again, no, I, I don't think so uh, at all. But I think that it is worth noting, like, they only get so many days worth of spring practice and only so many days worth of fall practice. And, you know, if you're, if you're missing some offensive linemen and you're missing, like, who are out for whatever reason, we know Devontae Loves Taylor is working, you know, working his way back, you know, from, from the surgery and trying to work his way into shape, obviously, because he's been rehabbing. You know, we know some other guys are out due to contact tracing. It does beg the question how much are you actually getting done and getting accomplished right now in practice? Yeah, uh, it it's, it brings up a good question, and I'm not trying to be like overly dramatic or worst case scenario, but there are shades of this. There are shades of some concern as to how much you're getting done that makes me think of like some of the last Jimbo seasons where you started to hear at, like, "Hey, I'm not sure we're really making a lot of progress here during this period of time," and it's for different reasons, and you know, maybe even an error of on mind to compare the two because it's certainly totally different dynamics, but. Like you said, um, Mike Norvell, in his interviews four or five days ago, acknowledged how important this week of practice was going to be 
uh, for the development of the team. And, you know, doesn't mean that they're not going to win five games or be in a position to have a respectable season. But uh, this week was not what anybody hoped it would be surrounding the program. And, you know, to an extent that's broader than just the quarterback. So uh, you, you hope to get those guys back. Got another question here from Frank. And he said, is this team vaxxed? I know you mentioned AC Media Day that it was behind schedule. Are, are we going to get there? You heard anything new on that? Uh, I haven't heard anything necessarily good. I mean, I'm sure they've made some progress, but um, what I had heard, uh, and again, I don't think I'm violating HIPAA at all. I heard that a decent amount of people have gotten their first shots and never got the second one. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know what would have to happen if you could just go back and get that immediately. I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate on that. That's outside my pay grade and my, you know, qualifications. But it is not by accident that they brought in Myron Roll. Uh, to my understanding, the athletic director had a very honest conversation with him. I heard they got chewed out and told basically, hey, if we don't get there, we're going to have to forfeit games. Coaches have talked to him. They brought in other experts on it. I think the mayor talked to him. So I don't think I'm, again, I don't think I'm letting out secrets to say that at the ACC media days, people in the conference were concerned that Florida State is going to have to forfeit games. And that's not a anti-Florida State, you know, uh, bias or whatever else. If, if anything, it's concern for the, for the school and the program. Uh, Florida State forfeiting games does not do a damn bit of good for the ACC. They may still get there. I don't know why this has been as big of a challenge as it has been for the program, uh, but hopefully they continue to get as close to 85 as possible. Because if you don't get to 85, I don't see a way that you, I mean, I may regret saying this, but if you don't get to 85 sitting here tonight in the middle of August, I would be shocked if you don't at least forfeit one game. Basically the way I understand the policy and if I'm wrong, I will correct it. But I, I, the way that it's been explained to me, is that if your team gets to 85, your vaccinated guys do not have to test. They're basically presumed negative. It just 85% as a clarification. As Correct, not 85 right. players. But this is a good point, right? Because I was also told that it was very much communicated to the walk-ons that, uh, Ingram, I, I believe that all of FSU's walk-ons, all, I think they have 35 or 40 or somewhere in there, I believe all of those players are, are vaccinated. And I'm going to tell you, that's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think there's any chance they would bring an unvaccinated walk-on on the road or would let him dress. And I think that was communicated to them. So, you know, um, but the thing is, if you don't get to the 85% threshold, I believe everybody still has to test. And the problem is with some of these breakthrough stuff, and I hate talking all this, all this COVID stuff, but the problem is with, with some of these breakthrough things, you're going to have guys who are vaccinated pop positive. So the way around this is basically with the presumed negative, so they're not having to test and they're not having to contact trace. And as we sit here today, if you're one of these folks who, you know, has not had it yet, meaning the shot, not not the virus, get your first one, you wait what two weeks, get your second one, and then you're considered fully vaccinated two weeks after that. Well, dude, I mean, just clicking around here on my computer calendar, one week could be the 25th, another week could be the first, another week could be the eighth. Yeah. Yeah, and you may be even fortunate with your two-week window. I think I had to wait four for mine. So, And my guess is they, they can get it available. They also potentially have the Johnson & Johnson thing where it's one shot. Yankees may tell you that's not very effective, but you know, if, if you've seen all the 
all the problems they've had. I do think there's still a chance this team gets it done. Uh, but I do not believe they're, they're like based on my information, I do not believe they are over 85% as of tonight. Otherwise, they would not have somebody coming in and talking to yeah, about it. Yeah, absolutely. What night was that? Is that Monday night or Sunday? Um, I think that was uh, into the weekend, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not writing that in pen. I'll put it that way. So, uh, what else do we have here tonight? Um, Thomas had an interesting one. This is something I, I kind of wanted to bring up. He said, "Like, how do you think the culture of this team is with all the transfers? I think it's mostly fine right now, to be honest. I think most of these guys are, I think most of them are pretty bought into what Mike Morell is doing. Is it total kumbaya? No. Is there some tough love being given there to certain guys? Yeah. In fact, they've even acknowledged Andrew Parchman has acknowledged it in interviews that he says he needs the tough love. And, and we talked about that, right? Like when we, when he transferred, we discussed there were some folks at Kansas who were like, yeah, can you, I don't know if you can trust this guy, right? Is he somebody who's going to quit on you? You know, like, is he going to play through the tough times? Don't know. But it was also Kansas. So it's kind of tough to, <laughs> tough to judge what was going on there. But I, I do have to tell you, we counted this up before the show. We think 11 or 12 transfers are going to start. To me, that's a team of mercenaries. Now, you can have a, a, a merry band of mercenaries, right, if you want. And I think it's possible. But if things go sideways, these guys don't have a history with each other that would suggest that they're going to stick together and, and be, all, you know, be all, all tight, right? They just don't. They didn't get to know each other last year, the ones who are on the team, because they were all, all the COVID stuff. And in this year, it's a whole bunch of transfers. It's kind of a mercenary squad. A one-year band-aid, if you will. A calculated risk that I, I think is the smart risk to take. That's kind of the best way I can answer that. I don't think they have major cultural problems on the team right now. I really don't. Would it shock you, Ingram, if uh, if they catch some losses and all of a sudden it becomes a little more me, me, me than we, than we want to hope it is? Uh, I think that's just human nature. I mean, I think when you get a kid for one year, uh, they're with you till a point, and then they start to look at beyond the year you know they weren't recruited by their staff out of high school they don't have you know uh three years of, of memories of you know going to bars with friends of theirs and and uh, some deep tie to the institution that's an interesting reference that i make that that would be the deep tie of the institution but they just don't you know have that uh association with the university that you would have otherwise so i think what did we count up and we and we were given half probabilities uh for kids that were on the borderline I think we counted 12 and a half starters that were that didn't start their their career at Florida State. So uh, I think that's just a natural byproduct of it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let, let, let's take a, a more fun one here. Man, Patreon folks, please send us something nice. Like this is, uh, I don't really enjoy doing this to start the show. Uh, this is from, who sent this, Jeff? Hey, bud, Negram. First off, I just wanted to say, uh, the ad plugs have been hilarious. Thank you. And now you guys can see us on YouTube, YouTube at Nolcast. Uh, I've been hilarious. Anyway, I was wondering if you could choose between the following two scenarios, which would you choose? One, FSU signs every current player in their 22 class, but can only fill remaining spots with guys outside of the top 247, uh, top 400. So guys outside of the top 400. Or two, you roll the dice and ultimately test your luck playing out the stretch, risking attrition, uh, in hopes of securing some of the program-changing guys you're currently in it for? It's a good question. I think we should tackle it from our perspective and then also maybe what you think the coaching staff would want to do. I want to see if you think it's different. Maybe it's not. 
So just to refresh everybody's memory out there, uh, right now this class has 18 players in it. Five-star Travis Hunter, four-star Sam McCall, four-star A.G. Duffy, uh, four-star... Why did I say A.G. Duffy? Like, it's kind of weird. Four-star Jalen Early, four-star Travion Williams, uh, four-star Antavius Woody, four-star Quayshon Sapp, three-star Alu Ba, Rodney Hill, Devon Mortimer, Aaron Hester, Dr. Richardson, Daniel Lyons, Bishop Thomas, Omar Graham, Brian Courtney, Drill Powers, and Kaniah Charlton. Me personally, I'd love to see you go big game hunting. Uh, at the same time, if you tell me I can put McCall, Hunter, and Duffy in cement and guarantee them, I'm probably going to take that. I mean, I, I think it would, I don't know if irresponsible is the word I'm looking for, but it would be, I, I'd hate to see a world where you don't sign uh, those three kids. So I, I would probably stay with where you are, fill out your class with some solid guys, hopefully between 400 and 550, and, uh, you know, start start the climb with maybe the most talented kid in the last five years and know that he's coming to Tallahassee. In this question, can we interpret it also that you can fill this with portal kids or do we have to take all high schoolers remaining? I think you can still have some portal room. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to see Travis Hunter this weekend, by the way. So, you know, excited to see that. Tweet a little video from the, uh, the Nolcast account, maybe? Yeah, we'll see what I can get. Absolutely. I'm, Put it on uh, the YouTube page. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it with my own eyes, and I will certainly give reports as to what it looks like. If you want, I will FedEx you my really nice camera. Uh, I just got one. Let me play with it. I may take you up on that. Okay, cool. Uh, let me know by tomorrow at midday because I'm leaving for a golf trip. This is fun for you guys to listen to, right? Uh, <laughs> they, they, they tell us they want more personality sometimes. So I think I would agree with you just because of the top-end talent you're able to get I think they have some good guys rated in the three-star range who you know, do have some four-star upside. And a bowl game is not guaranteed. I think a bowl game is on the high side, not maybe the highest side, but the high side of their potential range. You know, And I think if you lock that in, you making a bowl to me locks in the guys in this class, most likely, because you can sell, hey, it's double wins. So I'm going to go ahead and say, Certainly a bowl game uh, achieved by traditional methods of getting to six wins. Yeah. Right. Not like a five and seven, hey, we don't have teams to fill it type thing. Um, so I'm going to agree with you. I, I think that's, I think that is kind of the, the safer choice to make there. By the way, uh, speaking of safe choices, going with legendary home loans is about the safest choice you can make. You can listen to almost 200 Nolcast listeners and viewers uh, telling you that they have chosen the legendary team of Shannon and Chad. 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN for their home loan, mortgage, mortgage or refi, just awesome customer service, knowledge of the market, experience. It's really all you can want in a home loan, right? Like that's not, a, that's not always a fun process to go to. It can be kind of a stressful process, but actually getting your house is pretty damn fun. And if they can take and uh, you know make it a little bit less stressful for you, all the better. So give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN and with that, I feel like we should jump into the second half of tonight's show, which is our linebacker preview. Okay, so uh, let's do it. There will be some other previews that I'm a little bit more excited about doing. I'm not uh, you know, going to bag on all the linebackers here, but this is an interesting group, a group that I still consider to be in transition. Um, 107th in Havoc rate last year. What did we say? How many, how many teams played? 126? 127. 127. Okay, so... Gives you an idea as to where you were last year. But they bring everybody back, Ingram. 
Yes, they bring everybody back. They do. Uh, as perspective as to the benchmark that we've used throughout this series, David Hale has this group ranked as eighth best in the conference uh, going into the season. I would certainly take that at a heartbeat, but when we took the time to look at the broader conference, uh, this is not exactly the ACC's strongest position either. I don't. At, at first glance, I would say that Hale may be wrong with that number. When you look at some of the teams behind them, that may be more accurate than I first thought. So um, with that, we'll, we'll jump into the individual kind of bios of guys and try to give you an idea as to what we've heard and maybe what the coaching staff's expectation is this year. I think that's a really good point by you. This conference does not really have great linebacker play, or at least does not have great depth of linebacker play. There are some teams that are pretty damn good at linebacker, but I think that, that, that Hale could even think about putting FSU's linebackers as eighth. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Uh, so I mean, that's, that's almost, almost top half of the conference. When, when you and I, I think both think this is a, a weakness on, on the football team so far. Last year, they struggled in, in a couple of key areas. Uh, diagnosing was really an issue for them. They appeared to be far less athletic than I think they would be if you threw them in like a combine-type setting because they, and oftentimes they didn't know what they were looking at. You were playing at times... Uh, first of all, everybody was in year one of a new scheme, uh, but you were also having a situation here where several of these guys, they had never been in a college practice before, and they had not been able to really be around all that much for you know, summer conditioning and that type of thing because of the uh, because of the COVID deal. And I think that hurt them too. I mean, they were playing multiple true freshmen last year quite often. I mean, look, looking at how many, how many snaps some of these guys played, pulling this up real fast. So Stephen Dix Jr., a true freshman, played 436 snaps. That was the second most snap or third most snaps on the entire defense. Asante Samuel played 480. God, he never came off the field. And Janarius Robinson played 437. And that that's that's a really big number there for them. And yet Dix really kind of struggled too at, at times last year. I don't know. I I just think there is room for improvement here. Coach Marv is in his second year. We've documented the struggles that they have at the linebacker position right now. You know, to own to be, I mean, what are they, 20 months into this thing? And to only have a signee in Jordan Eubanks and a commitment from Omar Graham, I think is is a, a a bad sign for this position for things to come. So preview for what uh, what we're going to talk about later in the show. But yet, in talking to some coaches who I know and I text with, not necessarily FSU guys, I was wrong about something last year. I really believed that offense would be behind defense because of all the chemistry that it took for offenses to come together. And there were some rough offenses, certainly, especially in the early part of the season. But one thing that was pointed out to me was that because of all the the weird COVID rules you had in place, you had very little contact last year. You had very little times where the defense was on the field with the offense and practicing against an actual offense. And what the defensive coaches were telling me, and some of these guys actually coach good defenses too, so I thought this was interesting, is that because it's such a read and react part of the ball, that even though, yeah, it's not quite as much of a team game, although they don't like when I say that. Uh, I think offense is more of a team game and defense is kind of a little more uh, collective individual effort, if you will. But even though, if even if you disagree with that, what you can still say is they did not get the stimuli in practice very much to read and react and get those reps down. 
This year, I believe they are getting more actual reps. They should have a better grasp on what the defense is trying to do. I think, additionally, the coaching staff is going to have a little bit better grasp of what these players are trying to do and what they're capable of doing and maybe what they're not capable of doing. Everybody's back with the exception of Emmett Rice, who, uh, I mean, he's on the roster, but you know he's trying to recover from, from that net knee injury. We'll, we'll see exactly how long that takes him. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into some of these players, man. I, I'm, I'm interested in this. They have some athleticism here. I think this unit will be better. You know, we'll see how much better. Start a conversation with local kid Amora Gaynor. Um, again, we've talked about this. There's going to be a lot of names here that when you talk about him, then you go, he's only a redshirt sophomore. He's only a whatever. Gaynor, to me, does not feel like a redshirt sophomore. But again, uh, you know, cut paste from the conversations we've had in the previous position previews as to what the COVID year has done to uh, all of us. So Gaynor, um, like you said, a lot of these guys are a lot more explosive, uh, at least in like a combine setting. Gainers is probably the one who transfers over the football field the most. Um, there's been a interest in kind of having him develop into, you know, somebody that could rush the passer somebody that could play along the line of scrimmage. I think they backed off that a little bit uh, here. Gainer is, uh, you know, a guy that in space uh, at times can really flash and can and at times really look like a player and then at times uh, kind of run himself out of a play. So there's certainly some some work to be done here. Uh, you like the physical pieces. You like the athletic components. Uh, but a guy that's got to get a little bit better ideas to reacting as to what's in front of him. A, a statement can be made for almost every one of these linebackers. Um but an athletic kid that there's still a decent amount of optimism as to what he can ultimately become. I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think the questions that I have on Gainer, first of all, really good athlete, quality size, explosive player. He is somebody, even on last year's defense, who popped. Like, like he just looked like he was playing at a different speed than most everybody else on the field. And if you look at, at this metric or this metric here, uh, Ingram, have you ever looked at tackles per snap taken? Like it's kind of an inter- interesting one, right? He was actually number one on the team uh, for tackles per snap taken uh, among the guys who played uh, at least 250 snaps. So you know that's that's fairly fairly indicative. He, he had a, he had a couple run stops. He had a couple tackles for loss. Did have a forced fumble. Um, you know, caused some havoc. I I wonder how good he is in a read and react role. And in a taken on blocks role, I think he's somebody who, and also like, I wonder how good he actually is in coverage. We'll see. I mean, if he wants to play in the NFL and be a big time NFL guy, he needs to show that he can, he can do both of those things. But I agree with you. I think you know, somebody who can come downhill, who can be an effective run stopper and sneak preview of the defensive line preview. I really trust Jermaine Johnson. I like that they got Keir Thomas. He's much better than I thought he was going to be, I think. Although some of these players have been working on against in practice, uh, I'm not sure they cracked too deep. He's not a dynamic pass rusher, especially not in the edge rusher capacity. I, If I'm this coaching staff, I am trying to find a way to get him to rush off the edge. Maybe you play some three-man front stuff with, you know, maybe you kick Keir Thomas inside, or, or maybe you go you know, love it Cooper Briggs or something, and, and you play Johnson and Gaynor as some stand-up guys. But when you're playing these teams that are going to let you play you know, a seven-man front, basically, yeah. So I think you can get there and do that. We'll see how they effectively do that if they play a 3-3 three, three 
version four two five type stuff. Maybe that maybe that two four with, with stand ups. But I have a sneaking suspicion that he is still one of your better pass rushers, and and that will be that'll be interesting to see. Love to see it. I'm a little hesitant there personally, um, but I, I I know that that's something that has long been the want. Uh, I'm not not sure that I've seen it personally. So his pressure percentage last year, right? He had 31 rushes and six pressures with a half sack. Uh, so really didn't rush the passer all that much, I guess. But I will say that his uh, his pressure percentage was the best of anybody on the team who plays linebacker or defensive line. Um, Jarvis Brownlee was extremely effective as a blitzer off the edge when, when they sent him. So I don't really think we should count Jarvis Brownlee in, in the same you know, realm, because that's just a, a totally different dynamic there. But I think Gainer flashes some ability to get after the passer, and they, they should use him more in that role. Uh, next kid we'll talk about is Kalen Deloach. Interesting thing here, I, I have mentioned on this podcast and other Florida State uh, media when I've been a guest, is that Deloach was the kid that, from the people that I talked to the most going into last year, I don't want to say hype, but just the optimism didn't really transfer over the field. You saw him some in the Georgia Tech game, and then you didn't really see him again. And uh, this is particularly true when it comes to skill position players, but I think it's true for, for linebackers, and, and it can be a statement across the board. A lot of times the hype is a year in front of when you're actually going to see it on the field. And uh, I think that there's still a very high degree of optimism as to what Deloach can be. And he certainly seems to have uh, grown in the year. And, you know, that that hype is, uh, you know, sometimes a positive leading indicator, but it's a leading indicator that arrives about a year too early uh, before it really transitions on the field. And I don't, you know, look, we're, we're rarely, if ever, accused of blowing, you know, optimism smoke about what uh, is going around the program. And I, I really don't think I'm doing that with Deloach when I say that I think you can have, if healthy, uh, an expectation for a significantly improved year over what you saw last year, albeit that would not, you know, not require all that much either. Are you able to separate sort of the reports you're getting on Deloach uh, from the reports you're getting on other guys who maybe aren't that encouraging right now? Like I, I'm with you there. I think Deloach is better than he was last year. What I don't know is how much would be we'd be talking about Deloach if some of the other reports we were getting weren't also coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point that you got (laughs) to, not that this conversation has been honey and roses so far, but uh, there are some concerns with some of the guys that we've yet to talk about. And you may well be correct that the, you know, the positivity surrounding Deloach is more a byproduct of, uh, of some of the concerns or frustrations with some of the other backers. But uh, you know, there's a reason why that kid was sought after as, as much as he was out of high school. It was one of Taggart's, probably three or four better recruiting wins and uh, a guy that was a little undersized, but uh, you know, has a, has a decent amount of aggressiveness can certainly run and uh, is in my opinion, far and away the best coverage linebacker you have, which again is not a, not a grandiose statement to make, uh, but a guy that I think you're not going to see him for a couple games and then fade away. I think again, if, if healthy, Deloach is going to be one of your bigger, you know, burn earners, if you want to use that term, here in the linebacking core this year. He could drastically improve the number of, of snaps that he's going to play. I mean, God, how many did he get last year? Like 82 snaps, right? That's not many. And how many were in the Georgia Tech game? Just curious if you can see that. I don't have the breakdown on that, but I'm guessing 
quite a few. I'm guessing 25% of his snaps came in that game. But that's got to like, I mean, 25% of 82 is, is, you know, yeah, I think that's very possible. I agree with you on the coverage element here. That to me is, is an area that is lacking with this linebacking core, uh, especially with Emmett Rice still banged up and, you know, not, not on schedule, I don't think, to play early in the season just based on, you know, the intel I have. So, you know, you have, if Gainer maybe can cover tight ends, but like, I don't know how much you want him in zone coverage. I don't know that he has the best instincts in that situation. Deloach can run. And I think Deloach probably can cover. Uh, the issue there is going to be he is small, right? I mean, you have safeties on this team who are bigger than he is. And you have to figure out a way to keep blockers off him. So whether that's Fabian Lovett or Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper eating up blocks up front, or you know the, the way you shade your defensive linemen in their alignments to keep guys off him, if you're going to play him, you have to scheme for that. You have to realize if people get his hands on him, it's done. He's not big enough really to. I don't think, take on blocks consistently. Now, he's gotten bigger, sure, but I don't think he's like, I mean, he's a, he's a coverage linebacker. That's what he is, and they need that on this team. I think they still list him at 208 or something like that. I mean... I found he's... 211 in the newest media guide. Okay. So, so, but yeah. The third guy I want to talk about, and it may surprise you the order I want to talk about these guys, but I will tell you it's intentional, is DJ Lundy. DJ Lundy is huge. What do you think they list him at? 255. Good God. He looks like a one of these, you know, sawed off defensive end types. But for his size, he's athletic. That doesn't mean I want him playing in space. Doesn't mean I want him in coverage, right? I think he there's some duck potential there, certainly, of guys being able to pick on him. Maybe not. Uh, but I think he is in the right spot more often than not. I think his instincts are good. I think he knows how to play the game of football. He's also physically very strong. And I think he is somebody who, who has taken to the coaching of Chris Marr. I think he's going to play a lot more snaps than people do. And I'm probably, I probably shouldn't have said that, although I think Ingram has been, had the exact same feedback from his guys. But we're going to have a higher, uh, a higher rank for him in the snap count draft, I think, that we still need to do than... Uh, then I think maybe the audience would have. I, I think he has some potential as as a dude who's a redshirt freshman who you know was a true freshman last year. So next name is Stephen Dix. Uh, obviously, a guy that got a ton of snaps, as you alluded to earlier. A guy that you know, if, if you ever played football, you could only hope that you look like Stephen Dix when you walked out of the weight room. Somebody that I've always had concerns with his feet. I mean, I, I you can look like Zeus, but if if you can't move your feet and respond at the linebacker position. It's a, it's a problem. There's, you know, look, we, again, we'll be honest as possible with you. The feedback on Dick so far has not been glowing. It doesn't mean that he's a lost cause or anything like that. Not trying to insist, uh, insinuate that or. Yeah. He's a retro freshman. Exactly. Uh, it's, you haven't seen the growth of the progression or some of the things that you were concerned about. Maybe, you haven't seen signs to kind of assuage those fears so far. Yeah. Um, look, you have to know where you're going. Steven Dix, I think, can run. I don't think he's a terrible athlete, obviously. He looks like a million bucks physically. And I think he's a big-time hitter. You know, I think he's somebody physically strong enough absolutely to take on blocks. I think he looks slow at times because he doesn't... I don't think he diagnoses fast enough. I think the the slowness of the feet that we see sometimes is just slowness of 
of diagnoses. You know, so you're you're a step late because you're either false stepping or or you don't know exactly where to go. And and look, as a backer, you have to read traffic. You got to read your blocks. You got to read your keys. And some guys are just better at that than others. We see this even at the NFL level where everybody can run, but some guys can really run. And yet you see some of these dudes who are maybe not quite as athletic, who make big time plays because they just understand where they need to be. They have that sixth sense or they're really, they're really good at reading their keys. They, they, they don't get fooled very often. I, I still have pretty high hopes for Steven Dix, to be honest. Um, I just don't know that he is coming along. As, I don't think the mental side there, that, that sounds bad. I do not think that like the learning side of the game has come quite as much as like the, the physical weightlifting side of the game. And he still has, I think, 19 days before the Notre Dame game. We are purposely trying to get these previews out to y'all earlier this year than we did in previous years. I don't think it does much good for us to just wait around to see exactly what's going to happen in spring practice and drop them all in the final week. These are just our opinions on on the players, uh, you know, based on what we hear and, and based on what we know about them. But yeah, man, like I, I just don't think it's coming along quite as fast as they hoped there yet. Final kid here that we'll uh, dedicate a decent amount of time to is Emmett Rice. Rice is the redshirt senior out of Miami. You know, you alluded to it, I think, as we got into the uh, the intro of the position. A guy that's still a decent bit away from, uh, from recovering from that injury that he sustained last year. And this is a guy that more hopefully can come in and give you some support in the back half of your season. I don't know that it's somebody that you're going to see before game four at best at this point right now, uh, just from feedback that I've received. Hopefully I'm wrong about that. Uh, big fan of Emmett Rice personally. If he makes an impact in September, I'd yeah. be surprised. Yeah, it's right. So uh, you're still a bit of ways away. And so as such, even when you get back, you got to get back into football shape. You got to get used to contact. It just creates a whole other set of problems. It sucks because like, I know when the staff, Right when they were having their position meetings last year and they were going over, hey, if this guy wants to come back, if this guy wants to come back, this guy wants to come back and use use his COVID super senior year. Do we want him back? Does he fit? Emmett Rice wasn't a conversation. It was a no doubt. Yeah, we love this kid. Great kid. I mean, works hard. He gets what we do. And then he gets hurt. You know, like if Emmett Rice was healthy and had a real offseason, he's a no doubt starter in my mind. Like we're not having the conversation about Deloach, Lundy, and Dix. We're just saying those guys have another year to develop because Emmett Rice is your starter, period. But he's not. You're you're basically down a starter there due to a, an injury from last season. It's kind of like the Devonte Love Taylor situation, although we expect the Love Taylor to be, uh, you know, fully healthy and, and in shape. Uh, I think by game one, personally. So uh, that's a little bit disappointing. I still think this group would be better than it was last year. It'd be very, very difficult. Go watch that Notre Dame game last year, and they got pushed around some. So there's a physical issue there, but they also false-stepped the crap out of that game. They did not handle that zone stuff well at all. Then they got it like two weeks later against Louisville and couldn't handle it there either. A counter made it look like, you know, a, a version of football that is, you know, 10 years into the future that nobody had ever seen before from the linebacking core. So, yeah, yeah, uh, which is problematic because uh, that's not, uh, you know, that's not exactly cutting edge. So, 
Uh, some of the other guys that are still on the roster here are, are people that we classified as uh, maybe potentially contributing in years beyond 2021. Uh, you know, DeKalen Brooks is still out there, kid who tries hard, not really a, you know, Florida State level linebacker as to where you want to be. Size and athleticism issue there. It's just too limiting. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, Jordan Eubanks, uh, the, the true freshman that they got out of Texas last year, decent frame on the kid, true freshman. Nothing but positive things as far as what I've heard so far in, in very small doses, uh, but a guy that you're not going to see probably until 2023, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, with all these kids that we just talked about being retro sophomores at the oldest, uh, you've got some time to develop a kid like Eubanks. Jaleel McCray, um, I haven't, you know, if if the guy's on the verge of a, breakout, a breakthrough or impact season, as I think we have a listener question about, I haven't heard camp feedback suggesting as such, uh, and we'll, we'll. I'm not dismissing the question. We'll address it, but has it been there? Um, I'll let you list the final two guys here. Yeah, I, I just don't think. Uh, I'm not sure that McCray ever got back the quickness that he showed as a recruit before. You know the the two torn ACLs, and I, I just I don't know that he has the athleticism uh, right now to make an impact in the ACC personally. J.L. McCluster, I think, is an interesting one because he is still a redshirt freshman. Can't totally write that off. I think, did we get a question about this, by the way? I believe we did. Yeah, so uh, Rache, who, Rache, congrats on your t-shirt, by the way, for, for being you know, a, a multi-month member of our, our Patreon. Really, really appreciate your patronage there. Uh, he asked, uh, will McCray and Deloach make an impact this year? So we basically just covered you know, both those guys in that segment uh, organically. And then traveling snowman or snowman asked, uh, "How is this position missed so badly on recruits in previous years? Seems like there aren't clear roles for each position, uh, which may have had poor, led to poor performance. Will that change? How do you see this position improving in 2021?" Well, uh, let's think about this. Who was the linebacker coach in 2017? Bill Miller. Then in 2018, it was Woody, and then 2019, it was. Kind of Woody. Uh, and in 2020, it was Chris Marv. And now it's Chris Marv again. So they haven't had quite the instability that some positions have had over the last X number of years. I think offensive lines actually had the most instability given you went from Trickett uh, to Hudson to, uh, oh, shoot. What's his name? The beard guy who's not at Ole Miss anymore. Greg Fry. Oh, excuse me, not Hudson. I, God, I said Hudson. Man, that's, that's, a, that's a throwback, yeah. huh? <laughs> Whoa. No, to right to Greg Fry and then to Randy Clements and then, um, you know, and then obviously to Atkins for two years. I think continuity has been a big part of it. I think the lack of, of clear roles probably has has hurt somewhat as well as as the questioner implies. Um, they've had some misses there for sure. I don't think they've done a great job developing some of their undersized guys in, into dudes who who have the you know the necessary size. And some of the guys I think they took were just simply maxed out. You know. Linebacker is a harder position than ever to play, in my opinion. It is one of the absolute hardest positions to play on the football field uh, just because, I think, of all the pass game now. I mean, if you can't cover, you can't play. I don't care how much you hit. Uh, That's just the modern game. Passing is more efficient than running. Offenses are realizing this every single day. And, I mean, hell, look, if, if passing was not more efficient than running, there's no way in hell Mackenzie Milton would have a shot to win this job because Jordan Travis is that much of a better runner than he is. And so far, it can't be spent a much better passer, too. Obviously, hell, 
So is Tate. Or not Tate, excuse me, uh, Chubba. I think you got to be able to run. And I'm not sure some of these guys can run. You know, I think they're, some of them are kind of maxed out in high school, and that's basically what it is. Come back for the defensive line preview. I, it'll be a much more uh, fun conversation. Uh, optimistic. This is a position that you got to address. Uh, we've voiced some concerns about the recruiting, not having the results that you would want to so far. It's got to get better. Uh, you know, if you want to get away from some of that portal reliability or reliance, rather, that we talked about and having more than half your starting 22 coming from kids that didn't start their career at Florida State, uh, this has got to be a position that you address and address aggressively. And I don't see the path to it in 2022 personally. I know there's some nice 2023 names out there. Hopefully you can turn around uh, one of these 22 kids and get a significant addition. Uh, but this is a this is a position that you need to keep an eye out and you need to do a better job uh, pursuing kids and hopefully you see a decent step up in the you know uh, in-game uh, coaching and the ability to develop what you do have on the roster. As far as like the future rating of this, if you could rate all the positions as, as far as how would you feel in the in the coming years based on where they're at right now, is linebacker your lowest rating? Um, I like where your roster is, but you need to like you need to have some success at running back too. Those are the two. But linebacker is below running back. Uh, it is. You uh, whatever the hell happened with a kid from Lee County who's you know evidently gotten everybody confused. Okay, I get it. That's recruiting. Um, you gotta. Did you still recruit him? By the way, like you want you want to get into this real fast? Yeah, we can certainly do let's, that. Let's, let's let's make this brought to you by Congruity Mad Soba. Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you. We. Uh, <laughs> For when you want to know exactly what's going on with your business, uh, contact Congruity and don't have the ambiguity of uh, pursuing South Georgia linebackers who has, uh, you know, told you one thing twice and, and done another. Congruity is a uh, great partners for us in all sincerity. Matt texted me today, said he's headed up to Williamsport for the Little League World Series. Hats off to McLean and the whole team there. Uh, but you can go to congruityhr.com. And we certainly uh, will invite you guys and hope to see as many of you as possible for the Louisville game. Uh, when we make our way to Madison Social, it won't be the only time we make our way to Madison Social, but it will be in an official capacity. Uh, we've been texting with Matt about that, and we'll have uh, you know final details for you in the next week or so surrounding that event. All right, would you still recruit Jerron Willis after what happened when they thought he was coming? And they- um, I feel like to an extent you have to because there aren't a whole lot of other kids on the board, and you've got a little bit. Unless you think you're good with the Saints, which I don't. Uh, which I I personally don't. I'll, I'll- not that they can't get them, but like I wouldn't put a pick in for them right now. I would not uh, personally. If you've had a kid tell you twice he's coming to your your school and ultimately chose not to, whether it be at the last minute or whether it be, uh, you know, whatever the decision was made, really doesn't matter at this point. Um, supposedly, there's people on the staff who still feel confident about pursuing uh, pursuing Willis there. I would be. I would have that as a backup option at best at this point. I, I think if a kid tells you twice. He wants to go to Georgia Tech and you're Florida State, you tell him so be it. You know, uh, that's that's not I don't know that the juice is really worth the squeeze there. And and uh not that one individual recruit's gonna, you know, blow up in your face from a PR perspective, but uh you only need that to happen so many times, in my opinion. I'd I'd wish him the best and let him go. It's embarrassing. I think it's a very very difficult decision. Like you said, you have to balance that along with are they actually in it with anybody else? Good. I mean, if Omar Graham is the best linebacker you take in this class, that's a failure. 
Big problems. You, you, you need to problems. make changes on the staff. I think if, if that happens, seriously. When he committed, we said it. We said he needed to be a three in all likelihood. Um, can't be a one, and it's not a great sign if he's your second best linebacker. I mean, we're not dogging the kid here. Uh, smart guy. He's a good player, but you need an infusion of talent. This is a position you've got to address, and you're not addressing it if you're only signing one, you know, true high school linebacker. So, one hundred percent. So. I will note this. We're not putting this kid in our linebacker preview, uh, and we probably should have included him in the future position discussion. But Cheyenne Brown is a player that this staff absolutely believes they, they hit on. I know we talked about him, I think, three shows ago. And we might have been the first show to say this staff thinks they, hit, they, they, they really hit here. I think they believe he has the chance to be one of the best players they just signed. He's already, what do they list Cheyenne at? They list him at 205 only six pounds lighter than Deloach, who was in his third season on campus. It's not crazy to me to think, given how well they're recruiting the safety position, that he could be one of those sort of lighter linebacker types for you. And if that's the case, if he's really good, then I feel a lot better about this room. It's not an excuse for the, the, the poor job they're doing recruiting the position right now. Uh, but it is a reality that he could help you out quite a bit in that position if he continues to put on weight. Just show me something. Show me if you're not going to be a dynamic recruiter, show me that you can develop the kids in the room and, you know, we can go, we can adjust accordingly. But uh, need to see some positive, you know, green shoots of, uh, of growth and, and something to look forward to with uh, some sense of optimism at this position. Because right now, um, you, you got to look pretty hard to find it. 100%. Yeah. The, the, you know, the dichotomy there on, on, on staff as far as like who you consider a good recruiter on the defensive side of the ball, like JP and Woodson are really good recruiters. I think Odell has spots where he's still pretty good and then spots where, you know, maybe not so much need to see more from a recruiting standpoint out of the other two, to be honest, or some really good coaching. All right, guys, this will be our uh, linebacker preview. Like I said, uh, come back for the defensive line preview should be a more enjoyable conversation. Uh, but we always try to, Try to keep it real, and uh, this has been a pretty honest conversation about what uh, we've heard so far from the linebacker position. So uh, if you have a chance to give us a you know five-star review on iTunes or wherever you find the podcast, uh, if you have a chance to subscribe on YouTube, that is even, uh, even more appreciated if that is possible. And uh, like I said, we'll be back with a, another position preview here with you in the next day or so. So thank you much. This has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.